Welcome to Care Act Conversations with Cascada. In this podcast, we provide advice and insight on adult social care law. We talk through what should happen and what goes wrong when people need care and support and how you can uphold your rights. Cascada is an online specialist advice charity. Our mission is to help people get their full legal rights to care and support services and to support defensible decision-making by the public sector. Visit our website, cascadr.org.uk and support our work by using the big yellow button to donate or go straight to cascada.org.uk forward slash donate. Hello, my name is Sarah Wilcox. I am the senior caseworker at Cascada, managing the triage team, and I also run a small charity called Pathways Through Dementia. My name is Belinda Schwer. Uh, I'm the CEO of Cascada, having founded it in 2018. And I'm Jerry Nasowska. I'm a social worker by background and I do some casework for Cascada. And welcome back to Care Act Conversations. This episode, we will be talking about problems with top-ups top-up travesties. Top-ups are additional payments on top of the fee for care commissioned by a public body. Um, And those are additional payments that are requested by a care home over and above the cost of meeting the needs. So they're regarded as payments for wants as opposed to needs. And the legal framework under the choice regulations says that if a person can access a legitimate source of top-up, then anyone due care under the Care Act has a right to choose to be commissioned for with council money in a home that charges more than the person's personal budget for a preferred home with the extra amount of money covering their wants. So there's no such right for people placed in accommodation by the NHS. But the continuing health care national framework does say that integrated care boards should start out from the perspective of according choice to patients that they're commissioning for. The system there is called additional payments rather than top-ups. And the national framework does basically discourage it, but it cannot outlaw it altogether. There's another difference between council and NHS, and that's that council commissioners are legally obliged to put the top-up in and under the council contract. That means that if the top-up payer ceases to pay, then the care home is still protected for the work they've done. So in practice, top-ups are often kind of put in to the contract as a weekly sum without specifying what they're supposed to be for. And the council contract doesn't often drill down into what it's liable for um, and what it's liable for, which is only a want, not a need. What that means is it can be unclear what the top-up's actually for and councils and care homes could potentially collude to have a low council fee and then both the council and the care home would benefit from relatives really wanting better quality care and putting larger weekly payments forwards. In the NHS system, the top-up payer has to contract separately as opposed to what happens in local authority contracts. So that means that the NHS commissioner doesn't get pulled into having to pursue non-payment if the top-up payer can't pay. If the patient or family member has been given a separate contract, 
then it should show what it is that justifies the chunk of extra money. Um, but the home will often struggle to actually point out what is different. The final difference is that in the NHS system, the patient, him or herself, can pay the top up. There's no underlying charge being made for CHC placements, continuing healthcare placements. So there's no risk that the person pays twice for what the state is obliged to fund. It's rarer for a council client to pay for their own top up. It might happen, for example, if their property is being disregarded during a particular period or if they're going into a deferred payment arrangement. So let's start with what the law says about top ups. The local authority must ensure that the person has a genuine choice of accommodation when care in a care home is what's needed under the Care Act. And of course, it must be adequate and appropriate for the individual person's presenting circumstances, not merely just barely allowed to remain open by the CQC, however inadequate that home's last report might suggest that it is. And the care and support guidance insists that councils must ensure that at least one accommodation option is available and affordable within the person's personal budget. It then goes on to say that it should ensure that there is more than one of those options. But in legal terms, the existence of just one home at the stated rate, theoretically in addition to another one that one would prefer still means that the council has done its duty and asserting the preference for another one counts as a choice which leads to triggering the top-up regulations. As we've said, often enough to risk being thought to have got our needle stuck in a groove, the amount of the personal budget in the first place must have an evidenced rational connection to what is needed to meet the eligible needs and to the local market rate. It can't just be set at a rate that the council would like to apply wishful thinking for. It can't just pluck a number out of the air and say, this is the going rate, because that wouldn't take account of what the local market rate is at any given time. And the council can't just say, it's what we always pay for that kind of need. It's required to be a figure that's rationally related to the local market rate and to the individual needs of the person concerned. If the personal budget would cover a suitable care home, though, then a more expensive setting would be a matter of choice and be one that meant a top up would be essential and usually from a third party's money. If a top-up is agreed with that third party and the local authority is meeting needs by arranging a care home contractually, as we've said, it is responsible for contracting for the full amount, including where a top-up fee is being paid. The actual payment arrangement is able to be that the top-up payer makes a payment direct to the care home, as is the case with the client's own charges, with the net sum left over being what's paid by the council. But the thing is that those arrangements are only open if everyone agrees to them. And the idea is that if there's a breakdown in the arrangement of a top-up, for instance, if the person making the top-up ceases to make the agreed payments or can't make them any longer, the system guarantees that the local authority would be liable for the fees until it 
or sometimes the care home if it has been made to agree to act as the council's collection agent, has either recovered the additional costs it incurs or made alternative arrangements to meet the cared-for person's needs. However, an agreement to transmit the monies for convenience directly to the provider is not appropriate if the parties are not in agreement. And that agreement cannot be imposed. This sort of payment mechanism arrangement does not amount to a separate contract that needs to be signed as between the home and the top-up payer. That should be what rings alarm bells if you're asked to sign one of those. The local authority needs to be confident that the top-up can be paid by the third party for the foreseeable future. It needs to abide by regulations-based information and agreement, written agreement rules with the third party. And there are some circumstances when the client him or herself is allowed to pay a top-up out of disregarded capital during the 12-week disregard. And we think that that uh, loophole, that slight concession to the system, is because a person with so much money in their property savings must, logically, be allowed to spend some of it on a top-up for their wants, even within the context of a deferred payment placement agreement where the council is going to shoulder the purchaser role so that the individual doesn't have to sell their house straight away or, in fact, until they die. So some of the great wrongs we see at Cascader um, are as follows. So, for example, a council says that it will only pay its going rate for a care home even when there are no vacancies or no suitable vacancies at that price. So that means that a top up is unavoidable, they say. They refuse to accept that location matters for the promotion of the emotional and psychological well-being of the placed person or the well-being of their prospective visiting relatives who will still be counting as carers providing practical and emotional support, which is in breach of the Care Act. Given that emotional well-being is part of well-being and relationships are part of well-being, and the Care Act says that you need to start with the principle that the person knows what will promote their well-being best, it's hard to lawfully argue that choice based on being near enough to one's most important friends or relatives is a want, is one statement that we're used to saying. And we've seen councils, too, who take care to contract with one particularly unpopular home in the area so that they can always point to at least one vacancy at its asserted rate. But nobody wants to go there. People often don't know that they can robustly challenge the supposed adequacy or suitability of a suggested home and should certainly do so before expressing a preference so as to get the council's offered budget up. Another variation on the theme is a large top-up when there is nothing that can be objectively said to constitute a want as opposed to a need. This is often the case where a modern home has identical size and equipped rooms all with the same view. This leads us to the interesting question as to what a top-up can be for. Clearly a bigger room, a nicer view, plusher surroundings, Chippendale furniture rather than Ikea, that sort of thing. And it's equally clear that a purely personal service, nothing to do with the room or the environment, like hairdressing or a glass of wine at night, is not a top-up. 
the council wouldn't be regarding those things as needs in the first place. And there's no way that a home can be prevented from selling personal extras, extras to a person or their family to make their life more enjoyable. But what about the infamous lifestyle choice where all that can be pointed to is the ambience, otherwise known as posh people like us rather than any old Tom, Dick or Harriet, as one's companion residence? There's no law or ombudsman's report we know of about this point. Pre-Care Act, there was a consensus that it could not be used for paying for better care. The top-up could not be used for paying for better care. But that is not a position that can be derived from anything said in the guidance, because there's nothing to say yet that care homes have to separate their costs out for the accommodation as opposed to the care. The package is by definition by definition, sorry, an integrated one for care together with accommodation. If a care home is expensive because it is not watering down the staffing to the bare minimum, whatever that is regarded to be in professional terms when CQC refuses to be the judge of that question, other than in truly obvious cases, we think that it's at least arguable that someone can pay a top-up for better than is needed staffing. It's important to remember that the choice regulations extend to a choice anywhere in the country. People sometimes mistakenly think that if someone wants to go to another area, then this is just a preference or that the council only needs to pay the going rate there if it's a need to go there rather than a want. The guidance says that the council should take the personal budget rates in the destination as the starting point for the personal budget. Otherwise, the choice right would only be limited to one's own area, and that could be quite a small area. Um, it's always been the law that if one needs to go to a given area, the council must meet the needs by paying for that, no matter what the cost. But it's true that there can still be a difference between going to a more expensive area in general and preferring a more expensive home in that area, um, even you know, a more expensive home than even the going rate there. So you need to be thoughtful about going and looking at what's available before asserting a preference. There is a lot of confusion and stress um, because of the uh, tendency to kind of ignore the rules or not to know about them, uh, especially when discharge to assess policy from hospitals is making it very difficult to know which bit of legislation is operating at the point of hospital discharge. We did a podcast on that um, and we said that, you know, it's really, really important to ask who is paying for what, who is in charge of the discharge, what is actually being done by which body. And so there are countless reports and cases about repayments being ordered by the courts or by the ombudsman um, and because there's been confusion and people have ended up paying when they really shouldn't have. If one is having council made care home arrangements, there's a right in law to be placed by a council in the home of one's own preference, subject to suitability and availability and the homes being willing to contract on reasonable standard terms, and also regarding the price being no more than the personal budget. So if you're leaving hospital or in that kind of crisis situation, um, it may be that there's an interim arrangement because there isn't a right to stay in a hospital bed until your first choice placement comes up. But it's really important to hold out for that right of choice in the end. And that includes, as we said, the right of choice of location as well as of home within that location. We come across a lot of confusion about who is contributing to the care home fee via a top up. 
Often people aren't clear about how the top up came to be necessary, i.e. they can't confirm that there was a logical path to having a top up that started with identifying eligible needs, then led to a personal budget being agreed to meet care home provision, then involved a choice of care homes and finally led to the person identifying that they preferred a care home with a top up because of the additional wants or additional personal services there. Often there's a rush for the person to move into a care home because of a crisis and there's limited information about the legal framework or very often just a booklet of homes in the area is given to the relatives and they're encouraged to get on with it. Looking at the options for vacancies and where there's limited choice, the implications of paying a top up were not explained to the third parties, nor why it couldn't be the person's own money either. And the kindly willing person, often a very close relative, is left paying the care home directly with the amount going up very frequently. It's important to remember that local authorities have a duty under the Care Act to provide information and advice about social care and in particular to provide this when people are considering a financial commitment. The idea behind this in the guidance is to help them make decisions that will not lead to issues in the future. For example, someone may have settled in a home for years that charges more than the going rate as a self-funder and then they run out of money and the local authority says, well, someone has to pay the difference. What councils regularly do in that situation is to tell the person the only way their relative can stay in that home is by a person paying a top up. Whereas the law on depleting under the capital threshold is, as ever, that the person must first be assessed. A professional must make a decision properly in the normal way as to whether what was the person's or the family's choice originally has now become a need. They must be applying the Mental Capacity Act regarding wishes and feelings and best interest if the person is lacking in capacity. And even if fully capacitated, still, whether their human rights, based on it being their home and a surrogate family involving potentially significant personal relationships with other residents, count for so much as to outweigh the council's legitimate wish to save money and stick to its normal personal budget for this sort of client. In other words, councils can't deem the person who made a choice to be making that choice again now that the council may well be obliged to take over and pay the full cost of the more expensive home. So the council choice of accommodation rights to exist at all, one needs to have capacity to make that choice. Relatives aren't authorised by the choice regulations to sort of stand in the place of the loved one in this situation. However, they are, of course, best interest consultees if the person lacks capacity. And they're also entitled to have their well-being considered. And if they want to pay extra, then nobody's likely to stop them. However, whilst the guidance says that councils may like to treat the relatives' representations as equivalent to asserting a choice, we think that this is quite dubious as a statement of law. We think that councils can't escape the legal reality that in a case of incapacity, the decision ultimately is theirs and theirs alone. So they can't identify as a formal top up a relative's willingness to contribute based on their loved one's choice other than in the case where there's a financial power of attorney or deputy in place, a deferred payment arrangement in the offing. In order to uphold this legal right to choice, councils need to ensure that there are sufficient local care home providers in terms of numbers of placements that the council expects to have to make in any given year, 
where they've signed up to provide standard care and accommodation for any given weekly sum. That's the rational evidence basis for the position being taken by councils towards all of the clients it expects to have to place as to the size of a proper personal budget and before it can charge them anything at all under the charging regulations. It's not reasonable to set the local authority rate for care home accommodation at a level where the vast majority of care home providers are only willing to work with the council and contract with them on the footing that they can also charge a supposed top-up, when that exceptional facility, if you remember, is supposed to be for wants and not needs. So we have a gut feeling that, say, if fewer than 30% of care homes for particular client groups, such as people with learning disabilities or the elderly, etc., if fewer than 30% in any client group are willing to do business with the council at a standard core rate, we think it very much points to the likelihood that an arbitrarily low rate has been set and there's case law supporting us in that view involving Birmingham. Whether or not a provider could bring a judicial review about that is not clear. We think it's unlikely. But a family or an individual expressing that choice could certainly bring proceedings challenging the arbitrariness of the going rate. So people facing pressure on themselves or their families should really ask two questions. How many homes in your area have actually signed up to placements at the asserted rate with a top-up on top? Councils, we think, will know, or they ought to know, because they will have tendered in the first place for homes to join up onto a framework agreement regarding price, and because they also have to include the amount of the top-up in the specific documentation for the individual's placement. So if they do not know, that is a factor of severe embarrassment in any event. And the second question would be, how many of those willingly contracted homes do your social care staff adjudge to be suitable for this particular person's presenting symptoms and needs, including their well-being and human rights? And of those, how many have actual availability right now when a placement is needed before the staff just invite the families to go off and do the rounds to help sort out a preferred care home? It's totally clear that if no placement exists that is suitable on the day when a placement needs to be effected, to leave hospital, for example, then the additional fee for a suitable room is not able to be treated as a top-up. The council needs to pay the whole fee at that point, end of. So people and their relatives or their advocates need to set out firmly and clearly why the setting being offered is not defensibly able to be regarded as suitable, by reference to whatever the family thinks makes that the case. It might be location, it might be insufficient funding to meet the care needs in terms of the inputs that have been put in the care plan on top of any core fee that is just the home's costing model. 
People need to challenge the council or the hospital discharge team or the ICB to evidence any attention having been paid to issues of well-being, human rights, the choice regulations, the NHS constitution on choice, the commissioning section in the framework for continuing health care or the actual needs of the person themselves regarding how any placement decision has been arrived at and they must mention public law principles loudly as well. The area of top-ups is something that the Ombudsman takes an interest in. As early as 2015, there was a report about the issue of families paying too much for care because of councils providing confusing or incorrect advice, not offering a genuine choice of affordable care homes, or having any affordable homes available or sometimes providers trying to charge their own top-up fees without the local authority's consent. Not so long ago, the Ombudsman called out three councils for wrongly requiring top-up fees, having not been able to evidence providing a genuine choice of care home. In one of these, the council found two homes, one in its area that was within the personal budget set, and the other in the family's preferred area that was more expensive and for which the council said they required a top-up fee. The person moved to the more expensive home because otherwise she would have been completely cut off from her family. The ombudsman found that the person's care plan said she needed to have contact with her family and so there had not been a genuine choice of care home to meet her eligible needs and that was improper care planning. In all of these cases, the ombudsman said that the top-up had to be repaid because there was fault. There's also an LGSCO case that shows that there has to be choice of accommodation for respite care as well as for long-term care. The issues about toxic top-ups apply to respite as well as to long-term stays. We think that underlying this scandalous and widespread disregard of the law is the failure of commissioners to commission for choice in the first place, due eventually to insufficient public funding of local authorities' care budgets due to long-term intransigence by the Treasury. That's not so much a political point because it applies to any political party's Treasury minister's approach to social care. We never lost a top-up case where there is clear evidence that the person was not given options to meet eligible needs that were covered by the personal budget. And there are four considerations that cumulatively ensure that these are easy cases to win. On the correspondence, I mean, without going to court. People can dispute the suitability of what is being offered by the council on good grounds, particularly when one is dealing with a first placement. They can raise human rights in a case where remaining settled somewhere where they've already set up home really matters to them. They can attack the paperwork in any case where the top up is being retrospectively scrutinised because it is usually inadequate in terms of the agreement that will have been offered to the third party topper upper. And then they can dispute the reasonableness and the rationale for the personal budget for the client in any event. And they can point out the risk of challenge and reputational damage for the council for collusion with care homes as to minimising the council's 
share of any basic decent care home placements and getting desperate relatives to pay instead. An alternative is pointing out to care homes who've taken agreements to pay top-ups in the future from people who were going to be self-funding at first, the Competition and Markets Authority report on unfair private contract terms doesn't make it easy to do that and stay on the right side of the law. That that report um, is something that care homes do take notice of. And so it's a way of persuading perhaps the care home to reduce the chunk that is said to be for a want. A way to do that, too, is to point out to the care home managers that there doesn't seem to be any real definition or identification of what the extra chunk on top of the public sector's fee is being charged for, particularly if it's just been a percentage mentioned on the invoice. Finally, we know of a very useful provision in the charging regulations that allows any council after negotiations to reduce the top up that would otherwise be needed to breach the shortfall. And we think that that was put into the charging regulations to enable councils to concede that an individual situation should involve a smaller top up or no top up than the one they first sought. That would be because if they were challenged about that, they have made an individual exception as an act of discretion. And that means that the management don't then feel that they're setting a precedent that everybody else would be um, entitled to take the benefit of. So fundamentally, if you consider that you haven't had an adequate personal budget to enable you to have a choice of care homes to meet your individual eligible needs, get in touch with Cascader. And we suggest that you sign up to our fortnightly roundup, which is only £25 for the whole year, which works out at less than £2 per issue. That way you'll be able to keep up to date with key ombudsman cases and developments in social care. You can also use our question and answer function on the website to check on questions about top-ups or post your own. Please share this podcast to raise understanding of top-ups. And if you need legal advice, make a referral through our website. We hope you enjoyed Care Act Conversations with Cascada. If you or someone you know needs expert advice on a social care legal problem, please visit our website cascada.org.uk to find out what help we could offer. Please donate to our work via the big yellow button on our website or at cascada.org.uk forward slash donate. Thank you for listening.